So I can recall when I was a child, um, I was involved in Cub Scouts. Like anybody here in Cub Scouts, or you sent your kids to Cub Scouts? Oh, quite a, cool, quite a few of you. So I was involved in Cub Scouts, and Cub Scouts was extremely fun. You know, as we went out and we camped together, we did like Pinewood Derby car races together, and we sold extremely expensive popcorn that no one ever bought. Like, even though we're like cute little kids, no one bought the popcorn, everyone's buying the cute little Girl Scout cookies. Yes, I'm still harboring something in my heart, pray for me. Um, <laughs> but we, but, we, but, but we, we did all this stuff and it was fun and we kind of journeyed through this together and we eventually made the jump together as an entire group to join Boy Scouts. And we joined Boy Scouts with the, with the chief aim of achieving the highest rank in, in Boy Scouts, which is becoming an Eagle Scout. And again, it was fun because we camped together, we, we marched in parades together, and we earned merit badges together. But shortly thereafter, a lot of my friends began to drop out and quit because scouting just wasn't fun anymore. I mean, it became a chore, it became boring, I, I wasn't into camping anymore, and you wouldn't catch me at 16 or 17 marching in nobody's parade. It just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So I slowly began to quit doing scouting. And like no one said anything to me about it. Like a matter of fact, I was actually like affirmed and I was actually like congratulated for what I had done because every single time I managed to do something with scouts and I put on the uniform and I put on the sash with all my merit badges on it, I had this reputation of being this hardworking, diligent scout who was aiming and working towards their Eagle Scout badge. Although my life didn't actually resemble the very things they were saying about me. Shortly thereafter, I just quit scouts altogether. I was 17 years old, roughly nine months away from turning 18, when I would have to quit anyways, and I decided, you know what, I'm just done. Don't want to do it anymore. I already had the reputation. I already, already had the acclaim. Why did I have to keep pushing forward to actually get this eagle thing? I, I, I was done with it. And it kind of makes matters worse with this situation is that I was actually at the rank of life. And if you know anything about scouting, the rank of life is the very rank you're at right before you can achieve your Eagle Scout rank. So I was literally right on the cusp of getting my Eagle Scout rank and I just decided, you know what, I'm done. I got the reputation, I got the acclaim, why do I need to finish the work? Now you're probably thinking and kind of trying to reason with my then 17 year old logic and you're probably thinking to yourself, Clarence, you are extremely foolish. I mean, Clarence, why would you quit? when you're so close to the reward? Why would you be so focused on the reputation and the acclaim in which you're getting from other people? Why would you be so focused on the reputation and the acclaim you're getting from other people when your life doesn't actually match the very thing they're actually saying about you? These are very pointed and important questions that deal specifically with my uh, issue with scouts at that particular time, but I don't believe those questions rest alone in my past situation. But I believe those questions are important for each and every one of us this morning. Why have you quit doing the work you were once doing for God when you're so close to the reward? Why are you so focused on the reputation and the acclaim people suggest and say about you? Or here's a better question. Why are you so focused on the reputation and the acclaim people say and suggest about you when your life doesn't actually resemble the very thing they're actually saying about you. And may I even suggest some of, the, some of the same kind of things you were thinking as related to my situation, may I just say this one distinct thing, that our actions and our thoughts process in this regard 
is completely foolish. And God is not pleased. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to join me in Revelation Revelation chapter 3 as we take a closer look this morning into the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You remember from the very beginning of Revelation, we talked about these seven spirits. We talked about this sevenfold spirit that basically means, basically is the Holy Spirit. And as we've gone through each one of these churches over the last few weeks, we know that the first line or two basically gives a description or something about the characteristic of Jesus Christ. And this book here does the exact same thing. That what is being said about Jesus is that Jesus has the fullness of the spirit within him, And the same fullness of the spirit that is present within Jesus, he desires to be seen and felt within his church. That just as Jesus is alive and just as his church, I mean, just as the spirit is alive, his church should be alive and should be thriving for his name and for his glory. And when we look and when we think of the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis was alive and it was thriving. At least according to those in and around Sardis during this time. If I may, can I just, let me just paint the picture of what's potentially going on in Sardis at this current time. Um, Sardis was a wealthy city, and Sardis was most known for this Acropolis, or this 1,500-foot wall, like a mountain ridge wall, in which they sat on top of, and it separated them from everyone who was on, like, beneath them. And essentially, they prided themselves on this wealth, and their wealth, and they prided themselves on this wall because it literally kept their enemies from attacking them. Like, it made it basically impossible for the enemies to actually attack them. And they relished in that. And and I can imagine, you know, the church of Sardis, they have gathered on the day of the Lord. They're in the sanctuary, in the synagogue together. And I can imagine they have their chests poked out. Why are their chests poked out? Because they are the church of Sardis. Like, they, they have the reputation, they have the acclaim of being the embodiment of the very thing God desires for his church. Like, when you talk about church, no one compares to Sardis. Like, when you're talking about the people, when you're talking about the preaching, you're talking about everything, there's nobody that can do it better than the church of Sardis. See, Sardis, they had this reputation, they had this acclaim about them, and this makes them stick their chest out. And I can imagine as they gather for words that worship, their chest is poking out. I can imagine at this time that now a letter carrier comes into the church and now their chest pokes out just a little bit more. Because due to their close proximity to Ephesus and to Smyrna, they're well aware that when the letter carrier comes in, commendation from Jesus is coming. I mean, I mean they're well aware of the fact that how Jesus is giving commendation about those who have resisted wickedness in their city. Um, They're well aware that Jesus has gone forth and suggested that people are rich when they're exhibiting uh, severe suffering. Um, He's even well aware how he's giving commendation for those who basically stood and declared his holy name throughout the severeness of what's going on in the culture. They're well aware of commendation, and now they are ready for their commendation. They're ready for their affirmation, and their chest is poked out. 
can imagine they have smiles on their faces because this letter carrier is going to read something, some good news from Jesus. But once the letter carrier actually begins to read the first line of what Jesus has to say to them, their smiles instantly go away. Because it's in this moment, Jesus goes forth and tells them, look, I know your deeds. I know you have this reputation for being alive, but the truth of the matter is you and your deeds, because they are unfinished, are dead. I can imagine at this moment that the people inside us, they're, they're, they're probably asking the letter carrier, um, can you read that one line again? Because there has to be an error in there. Um, there, ha- there has to be an error because we are the church of Sardis. We, we are the embodiment of what God desires. We have reputation. We have a claim. We have it going all together. And what they received in this instance is not commendation, but Conviction. See, Jesus is telling this church, look, you don't need commendation from me because it appears you sought commendation from everyone else except me. And now I'm here to give you the truth. See, I know you got this reputation for being alive and being vibrant, but your reputation doesn't match reality. Because the reality of the situation is that you got some unfinished deeds, and because your deeds are unfinished, you and your deeds are actually dead to me. See, see, this church of Sardis actually lacked diligence of faith and actually were lazy. And and notice the word choice in which Jesus actually uses with this church. He he says this church is dead. Now, Now remember, we just talked about how Jesus is alive. Jesus has the fullness of the Spirit within him, and the Spirit is alive. And the Spirit should be seen within the church, making it alive and a thriving and a vibrant church. And as this church is dead, it is suggested then that this church is one who has silenced and quenched the work of the Spirit within themselves and within the church, making their deeds and making their church dead. That they had this responsibility of allowing the Spirit to work in and through them to do the very work that God has called them to do, to strengthen themselves as Christians and as believers, but instead of doing that, they become lazy, they become complacent. They lacked diligence. They quenched the work of the Spirit within their lives. And Jesus renders them as dead. I wonder if we took the opportunity to journey away from Sardis, took a plane over to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and rested ourselves within Calvary Church, if we would find people just like the very people who are found in Sardis, who've come complacent, lazy, prideful and enjoying the the great reputation and acclaim they've received from others, although their life does not resemble it, and because they've silenced the work of the Spirit in their lives, now find themselves dead. Would we find people who are so like on fire for studying God's Word and spending quality time with Him and memorizing Scripture, and now they no longer do it because it's just not of interest to them anymore? When we find people who are like, you know what, I'm going to do this 40 days of prayer and fasting. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to see clearly what the Lord is doing. But after day four, succumb to the temptation and never actually started again. And kept eating that thing you said you would give up and looking at that thing you said you wouldn't look at and wouldn't talk to God anymore. 
Um, um, would, would we find people? Would we find people who are so dedicated in serving and so dedicated in coming to church and so dedica- dedicated in getting involved in a small group and in a Bible study? But now, because of COVID, they're using that as an excuse not to come to church, not to get involved, and not to serve while still doing everything else you desire and want to do. All the while, while this is going on you still have the acclaim and you still have the reputation of being an active person in God's word and active in prayer and fasting and active in your local church. What Jesus is saying in this moment is, look, I know you have this reputation of being alive. I know people say you're a faithful worker. I know people say you're a student of God's word. I know people say that they can count on you day and night to call you. I know what people are saying, but the truth of the matter is your reputation, your acclaim does not meet reality because I can see through you. And and, and your deeds and everything is dead, it's unfinished, and you need to be revived and you need to be made alive. So check out the very first two words in which Jesus goes forth and utters to this church in verse number two. The very first two words in which Jesus utters to this church is wake up. Wake up from your sleep. Wake up from your slumber. Strengthen the little bit of the spirit that's still left in you. Allow it to be, to be active and working. Yield to its working and become vibrant, become diligent, and do the work again. Jesus is saying the same exact thing to us this morning. Wake up. Your reputation from people doesn't please me. The fact that you put others above me doesn't please me. Your, your deeds, nothing you do is pleasing to me, but what will please me is if you wake up, strengthen the little bit that is still left in you, yield to the working of the Spirit, allow it to revive you, and become diligent and do the work again to be an alive and vibrant people I have called you to be. That's not the only thing Jesus wants them to do. Look at verse number three. Verse number three says, uh, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus wants this church to remember, to obey, and to repent. He wants Calvary Church to remember to obey, and to repent. He wants us to remember the fact that we have the gift of salvation through the belief and through the confession of Jesus Christ, his son. Um, He wants us to remember that we have the gift of the spirit that enables us to do the very work he's called and destined for each and every one of us to do. He wants us to remember that it is the Spirit of God within us that makes us alive, that makes our deeds alive, and progresses the work of the church forward for others to see and to experience. He wants us to remember, and he wants us to obey. Because if we refuse to remember, and if we refuse to obey, we will become a prideful and comfortable people who thinks we don't need God in our lives. That's what's happening in Sardis, that they become prideful, they have become comfortable, and they find themselves in a place where I got all this stuff, I'm in this place, I'm secure, we're wealthy, we don't need anything else. God, you stay in your corner, and I will do life on my own this way. I kind of think of this notion of like, you know, obey and remember, it makes me think of how God speaks to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
For it's in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where the Lord goes to Israel and says, um, you, uh, do not forget the Lord your God, or essentially remember the Lord your God. But not only did they have this responsibility to remember, they had this responsibility to obey his laws and his commands and his instructions and his decrees. Because the moment they will fail to remember the Lord, the moment they will fail to obey his laws, his commands, and his decrees, they will become a prideful and a comfortable people. They will become prideful and comfortable in their satisfaction of food and prideful and comfortable in this notion of their fine homes and prideful and comfortable in their increase that is all around them. And what God is saying is when you become prideful and comfortable, Israel, you'll, be, you'll, become, you'll become prideful, you'll become comfortable when you fail to remember and obey, and you'll begin to think that everything that you have and everything that's in front of you is something you've done on your own. See, actually, it's the Lord that's done it. It's the very Lord who's done it, who's brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery, who's brought you out of the wilderness, who's, who's came forth and brought you manna out of heaven. You didn't do this on your own, but it's my power that enables you to do it and allows you to have everything that you have at your disposal. And what God tells Israel is, look, if you fail to remember and if you fail to obey, it says later on there in Deuteronomy 8, God tells them, I will surely destroy you. And Jesus is essentially saying the same thing to Sardis, essentially saying the same thing to us that, look, if you fail to remember, if you fail to obey, you will become prideful and comfortable people. You will push me off to the side and forget about me without realizing that you are relishing in blessings and in a reputation and in a claim you personally didn't even earn. Because it's my spirit that works in and through you that allows you to do everything you do and to have everything you have. And essentially, what you are doing in this moment is you are killing yourself over something you yourself didn't even do. It's my spirit in you that's allowed you to do it. And here you are under your own strength and under your own power, killing yourself over a reputation, over a claim, and over blessings that if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even have in the first place. And what Jesus is saying, we need to repent. We need to repent because God's church should be alive and thriving, and there are certain pockets of the church that aren't, and we need to repent. We need to repent because we have the gift of the Spirit that should be working in and through us, that enables us to do the work, and some of us are not doing the work. We need to repent. We need to repent because we have this reputation, this acclaim of being studious in the word and active in the church and and praying and fasting and so many other things, but actually our lives don't resemble this. We need to repent. We need to repent because we've chosen to know more about Biden and more about Trump and more about this election cycle than we've chosen to get to know about God and his word. We need to repent. And we need to repent because the Spirit of God leads us into all truth, but we've chosen to throw away truth and to believe the lies of people. We need to repent. See, just like God told Israel, you know, if you don't remember and you don't obey, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy you. Jesus is essentially saying the same thing to Sardis and even to us. That if you fail to remember and you fail to obey, And if you fail to repent, I will come to you like a thief, and you won't even see me coming. Now, instantly when Sardis were to hear this language, when they were to hear this language of thief in the night, and they were to hear this term, wake up, wake up literally translates to mean keep watch. 
When Sardis would hear, keep watching, when Sardis would hear this notion of thief in the night, it would remind them of the two previous occurrences throughout its history where they were attacked and seized by their enemies. Now, if you've been tracking with me, you're probably saying to yourself, well, Clarence, didn't you just say about 10, 15 minutes ago that, that Sardis had this 1,500-foot Acropolis, this mountain ridge wall that separated themselves from others and made it impossible for their enemies to attack them. Clarence, didn't you say that? I did say that. But still, throughout its history, there were two times throughout its history where they were actually attacked by their enemies. See, because remember, see, Sardis, uh, they, were, they were relishing in their reputation and in their acclaim. They had the wealth. They had the Acropolis. They had all this stuff going on, and they weren't keeping watch because they thought they were secure in the very things that were right in front of them. And because they weren't keeping watch, because they weren't being diligent, because they were comfortable in what was in front of them, their enemy actually found a back pathway behind or near, like kind of near the back of the Acropolis, snuck in them where they were least expecting it, and seized them and captured everything that they had in Sardis. So when they would hear this language of keep watch, keep watching, hear this language of thief of the night, it instantly reminds them of the two previous times in which they were seized and their stuff were taken from them. I wonder how many of us have built up our own mountain ridge walls based upon the opinions and reputation and acclaim we have received from others. I wonder how many of us have built up our own 1,500-foot Acropolises and basically relishing in the reputation and in the acclaim and in the blessings and everything in there. We, we are relishing in these things. And I wonder how many of us have done this thinking solely on the satisfaction of food that we have, that we have fine homes and we have wealth all around us and thinking these things are going to secure us in this life and the life that is yet to come. I wonder how many of us have built up this wall that we think no one can harm us, that no one can see through us, that no one can take anything from us because we have it all together, we have the reputation, we have all the blessings, we are completely secure. I wonder how many of us actually have that and thinks nothing will happen to us at all. But what Jesus is saying to Sardis and what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that if you refuse to remember if you refuse to obey, if you refuse to repent, if you continue to silence and quench the work of the Spirit in your lives making you dead, if you want to continue to relish in the reputation and the acclaim and the blessings in which you have and the name in which you have in which you actually are not living a life in response to that, if you want to hold on to these things and think these things are going to secure you in this life and in this life to come, what Jesus is telling Sardis and what Jesus is telling us is, look, I'm coming to you like a thief. And when I come to you like a thief, I'm going to come to you when you least expect it. I'm going to break down every single bar barrier and bore you have put up in place. And I'm going to rob you of everything that's made you comfortable, that's made you prideful. And I'm going to rob you of everything that you thought has secured you in this life and in the life that is yet to come. I'm going to come to you. And you're not even going to expect it. Because you're not being diligent. You're not keeping watch. You're choosing to trust in the name other people are giving you. Because of that, coming to rob you. When I think of this, I think of the passage in Luke chapter 12. I think Luke chapter 12 gives us 
another picture, another angle in which we can look at this. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 40, it says this. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will sit them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. For those of us in this room who have allowed ourselves to stop doing the work we were once doing, to stop being diligent in the faith, to quench and to silence the very work of the Spirit that has been gifted to us for His glory and for the betterment of the kingdom, for those of us who have done this, looking at Luke chapter 12, you are actually the individual who doesn't have their garment on and whose lamp is not lit. And if the master were to come now, you would find yourselves on the outside looking in. What Jesus wants Sardis to do, what Jesus wants us to do is to seriously to be revived. <laughs> like a paramedic who was reviving something, who was on cardiac arrest, revive the spirit that is within us to begin to allow the Spirit to enable us to do the work, become diligent, become faithful, so that we ourselves can be this alive and vibrant people, and so that our church can be this alive and vibrant church God desires for it to be. What, well, what is interesting is just like, just like in the other uh, churches we've gone through, the whole entire church like, wasn't caught up in this sin. But there still was a faithful remnant of people um, who are faithful in serving, allowing the Spirit to work in and through them. Um, look at verse number four. Verse number four says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Can you, can you see the contrast in which Jesus makes here? He says that those who have continued to do the work through the midst of culture, through the midst of everything that's going on, who have been faithful, allowed the Spirit to work in and through them, these are people who will be getting white garments. Whether those who have fallen into this trap of sin, for those who have silenced and quenched the work of the Spirit, who have stopped doing the work and being diligent, these are the people who are going to be wearing soiled clothing, or essentially dirty clo clothing. Um, they're essentially contaminated with sin. Let me give you an example. Um, soil clothing. Um, think of, think of uh, uh, parents, you putting your child in a nice clean outfit, and then your child running outside in the rain, rolling in the mud, and now coming back inside the house. Or, parents, thinking of that, think of that newborn child who just blew out their diaper. <laughs> I've been there. Um, think how it's like it's all over their clothes, it's on their leg, it's in their hair, it's like all over the place, right? Think of that farmer who, who has been out 10 to 12 hours out in the manure and now coming back into the house. See, while you love them, you can't stand the smell or the sight of them because of their soiled clothing. It's nasty. It's disgusting. This is what this sin is to this church. 
Jesus is like, look, I love you, but because of what you're doing, because of the sin, I can't even stand to look at you. I can't even smell you because your, your clothing is soiled. It's nasty. It's gross. It's not what I gave you. It's what you put upon yourself. But rather for those who have been faithful, for those who have been diligent, allowing the spirit to work, Jesus says, I'll give you a white garment. And this white garment, we know that white means purity, it means holiness, it means justification, but this white garment is actually a wedding garment. That just like we read in Luke chapter 12 about this wedding banquet and having our garment on, this is the same exact thing. What Jesus is saying is, look, if you remain faithful to me, if you allow your spirit to work, if you continue to do the work, I will put you in a wedding garment and I will have you walk alongside me and I will call you worthy. So for those of you in this room who have remained faithful, who have allowed the Spirit to continue to work in and through you, who have resisted pressure from the culture, resisted pressure from the pandemic, have continued to be influences in your places of impact, whether that's your job, whether that's your family, whether that's out in the community, at the gym, wherever you may be. For those of you who have done this, there is a wedding garment waiting on you in a banquet room where your name is seated at a table for you to sit in and to relax and to be with our Savior and his Father. Can you imagine how this banquet would be? Can you imagine how awesome this banquet would be? Like, Take a pause from this for a second, but can we imagine just how beautiful this banquet could be or would be? Can you imagine, you know, the doors are shut to the banquet hall, but yet you can kind of still peek through the window of the door. And as you peek through the window of the door, you can see just the, the beauty and, and, and the majesty and, and the splendor and the aweness that is present in the banquet room. You, you, can, see, you can see the table settings, you can see the plates, and you can see the knives and the fork spoon, you can see the cup, you can see, you can see the centerpieces on the table, you can, you can see little name plates on each and every seat designating who sits where. And as you're looking at the banquet, as you're seeing all this, you realize this is something that you've never been to, never experienced before, and you desperately want to get inside the banquet room. Before your very eyes, the door begins to open and a line begins to form. And now like a kid with a kid in a candy store or in a toy store, your eyes begin to open wide as you now really begin to see the beauty and the splendor of the banquet room as the doors are now open. You desperately want to get inside the banquet room. The line is moving incredibly slow, but it doesn't matter to you how slow it's moving because with each and every step you take, you get a better picture and a clearer picture of what this banquet room looks like. It's beautiful. The decorations are glorious. It's, it's so fabulous. You desperately want to get inside the banquet room. Again, the line continues to move slowly, but as the line moves slowly, you can begin to see that there are people going inside the banquet room, and as they go inside the banquet room, they're given a white garment. And as they're given a white garment, you see them now scouring around the banquet room, trying to find the place where they're seated at the table. And as you look through the banquet, as you look through the windows, or as you look through the banquet room, you can see people who are smiling. 
You can see people who are shouting because of the sheer joy and excitement of being in the banquet room. You, you see people with tears in their eyes because they finally made it inside the banquet room and you desperately want to get inside that room. And finally, you make it to the front of the line. And as you make it to the front of the line, you now understand why the line was moving so slow in the first place. It's because Jesus is at the door. And as Jesus is at the door, he's saying the name of each and every person in line to the angels, but also to the guest of honor in the banquet, which is his father. And now you can't even, uh, you can't even contain the level of excitement and level of joy in which you have in this moment. Because now you can clearly see as you're at the front of the line, you can clearly see what the banquet room looks like. And you can see the tears and you can hear the shouting. You can see the smiles. You can see the centerpiece. You can see the utensils. You can see the decorations. Jesus is right here. You are ready to enter inside the banquet room. You're ready to experience the joy. You're ready to experience the excitement. You go to take a step into the banquet room, but before you take a step in, Jesus stops you. Tells you to take a few steps back. Jesus looks at you. Looks over your life. Tells you to take a few steps over to the left. And as you take a few steps over to the left, you begin to notice that every other person who's in line behind you it's going up to Jesus. Jesus is saying their name to the angels and to the guest of honor, his father. Each and every person is going inside and they're getting a white garment and they're off scurrying around trying to find their seated place of seating at the banquet. People are smiling. People are shouting. People are crying. And you're still over here left in the corner. Before long, the last person enters inside the banquet room. Jesus shuts the door and the banquet begins. While you find yourself off to the left with soiled clothing on, on the outside looking in. Can you imagine the pain that will be felt in that moment. Can you imagine the sheer grief that will be felt in that moment? Can you imagine the level of regret that will be felt in that moment? We have two options here. For many of you in this room, you're going to the banquet. You'll be smiling. You'll be shedding tears. You'll be shouting, enjoying the banquet with Jesus and his Father. But there's some of us in this room who will be like the individual off to the left with soiled clothing on, on the outside, looking in. And the choice this morning is yours. If you're here this morning and you resonate with the individual who's off to the side, who's on the outside looking in with their soiled clothing on, 
I have good news for you this morning. There's still hope. There's still second chances. And you can still get inside the wedding banquet. Look at verse number five. Verse number five says, the one who was victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. What Jesus is telling us today is that if you will just remember, if you will just obey, if you would just repent, if you would just re- allow the spirit to be revived inside of you and allow the spirit to enable you to do the work again, to be diligent and faithful to me, I will put you in a white wedding garment. I'll put you in this white wedding garment. I'll, I'll never blot out your name from the book of life. And I will say your name to my very father who is in heaven. And, and, I, and I don't know about you, but nothing in this life that I live now compares to the thought of Jesus Christ saying my name to his father. Right. Nothing compares to the thought or to the idea of Jesus saying my name to the father and in response, the father saying, Clarence, well done. Good and faithful servant. Look, 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 there's nothing wrong with having this reputation, having this acclaim from others, but I don't live for the reputation or for the acclaim of you, for anyone online or anyone else, but rather everything I seek to do, I do for the audience of one, and that is Jesus. And because I do it for an audience of one, because I do it for Jesus, my chief goal, my chief aim is to glorify him, to praise him, but also so I can get a white wedding garment. So that I can go through the banquet hall and I can have a smile on my face because so I can shout, so I can scurry around trying to find my seat, so I can hear my father say, Clarence, well done. Good and faithful servant. That is my heart's desire. And I'm willing to bet you if I went forth and did a poll of each and every one of you in this room and even those of you watching online, I believe that is your chief aim as well, is you yourselves want to hear, servant, well done. Come inside the banquet. Let's feast together. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you just remain diligent, allow the Spirit to work in you, do the work again, become alive and become vibrant. Calvary Church, become an alive and vibrant church. There's a wedding feast, there's a wedding banquet that is ready for you. I got a seat saved for you. I got a garment that fits you perfectly. We have a fun time awaiting us. But if you want to choose to relish in your reputation and your acclaim, although your life doesn't match it, if you want to feel secure and feel safe in your own Acropolis built based upon your fine home and your wealth and everything like that, if you want to push God off to the side and want to live your own life thinking you're living your best life and living your own life, the being this individual who's on the outside looking in is your future reality. When I think of my situation with scouts, I very much resembled the individual who's on the outside looking in. Basically just relishing in my reputation, relishing in my acclaim, even though my life did not actually resemble it. And after a very stern and stern warning from my father, as well as encouragement from him, I've remembered, I obeyed, I've repented, and I allowed the Spirit to enable me to start and do the work again. 
I've remembered and I obeyed the promise I made to myself, to my family, to my scout troop, and to everyone else that I was going to see this scouting thing to the very end. And I repented for my laziness, for me being apathetic, for me being complacent, for me thinking that simply my reputation could slide me through the door without realizing that I had to do the work as well. And by the grace of God, through the power of his spirit, at 17 years old, two weeks before I turned 18, I've completed all the work, including my Eagle Scout project, and was confirmed as an Eagle Scout by the local council here in Grand Rapids. But that wasn't even the best part. Guess where I went shortly after I achieved my Eagle Scout rank? Guess, guess where I went to? I went to a banquet. I went to a banquet with other Eagle Scouts and we were smiling and some people were shouting, some people were crying because we had made it to the finish line. We had received the reward for all of our diligent work that we had received. I was lazy. I was apathetic. And I can be open and transparent with you to suggest that while I'm excited I got my eagle, it's not one of my proudest achievements because I was lazy and because I was apathetic. But my father gave me a stern warning. And after that warning, I allowed the spirit to begin to work and I started the work again. I believe Jesus has warned each and every one of us this morning. Heed his warning. Allow him to revive the spirit that is in you. To begin the work again and be the diligent and thriving and alive people he wants us to be. So that here at Calvary Church, we can be the alive and vibrant church he desires for us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.